touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown. Apropos that we would have a couple of calls there with Shaq Evans and Brandon Banks as we will get into uh, some receiver duos coming up for you. Thanks for being here, as always, with us at DT on SC. That is Derek Taylor on the other side of the extremely socially distanced Zoom call. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. Marshall Ferguson here of Canadian Football Perspective. As always, brought to you by our friends at Fox 40. If you want the close vicinity line, it's designed to help you return to play safely. For 15% off all your whistle needs, visit fox40shop.com. And use our promo code CFP15. You get 15% off at checkout. And of course, heading towards the CFL season, make sure you're using the promo code CFL during checkout at sawdustcitybeer.com. They have got some summer goodies over there for you. You got to live in Ontario to get this bad boy. Must be of legal drinking age. I know a lot of people have been enjoying that, saving about 15, 20 bucks on your order around uh, 100 bucks or so. Team up with a couple of your friends and get set for some hot summer well close to fall nice by the time that we get going uh is Derek Taylor uh rocking the Peloton shirt today you big Peloton guy I'm the cent is this the century one? Oh, it's the 100 uh when I did my 100th bike ride they send you a free wow. t-shirt and it's cool. the only way you can possibly afford Peloton branded gear because t-shirts are like <laughs> 75 bucks and shorts are a thousand and it's a million for a hoodie like golly uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that that stuff is expensive. No, it's funny. So random uh, side story here on uh, our adventures of conditioning as play-by-play man. Because you try to keep the lungs in shape, right, DT? It helps. Obviously, yeah. You really work the low registers. You get that Rod Smith exercise going, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I actually had a TRX band, okay? TRX, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. Love working out with the TRX. Take it anywhere. Latched onto a tree. Don't go to public school playgrounds and latched on there. It's weird. Uh, but you throw it on different places wherever you want. And you can basically, I, I love taking it with me on the road. That's part of why I fell in love with it. So uh, you can get a lot of different things done with it. And I had one of these rubber bands. It sounds really stupid, right? It's very childish, but I had this TRX band and it snapped after having it for like a year and a half. And I didn't know what to do. And I went on their website and everything. I was like, can I just order like, oh, I don't care if I have to order 20 of them. I just, I, I'm so used to having this thing, this like solid rubber band on my wrist. And uh, <laughs> I ended up, buying another trx just to get the band uh because it was included in the in the package what? yeah because you have to they don't sell it separately you have to buy an actual trx in order to get the band so uh i got it back which shows you how poor my judgment is so that's outstanding i can just imagine just hauling that to a schoolyard hey kids who wants to get their <laughs> pump on and you immediately go to jail and don't pass go yeah exactly be. yeah Not that's uh, but yeah trx is fantastic it's uh, under I uh, probably an underrated apparatus as I think a lot of people may not know about it. Love yeah. it. Love it. I bet you Trevor Harris uses TRX. I enjoyed the uh, Edmonton conference call as we get lead up to the season where he was talking today about going to the TB12 training centers and talking to the body coaches and taking on the diet and doing the workouts. He's got his nutritionist certificate. He's a personal trainer now. He's got all this stuff and uh and he he basically was like 
you know, when I went in and I started showing them my workouts and how I prepare and how I think the game and how I, apparently a bunch of the body coaches were like, you got to meet Tom. You got to meet Tom, man. This, this sounds like you and Tom would really like connect. You would kind of get each other. And, you know, Trevor's talking about wanting to play deep into his career. And I'm like, well, his playing style certainly fits the type of guy that could last long into his career. Get the ball out quick, throw the intermediate stuff efficiently, have your accuracy. So I'm listening to this and I'm like, that's great. And then another side of me goes, this sounds like the body coaches at TV 12. We're just giving them the old sales pitch. Like, yes. Oh, you gotta, you gotta meet like our grandmaster for sure. Yeah. You, you should meet him at the tent. Come to the big village. Come on into the big tent. Well, I was like, Trevor, are you being Ponzi schemed? I really hope not. <laughs> if you buy a 96 bottles of alkaline water, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can get a Tom, uh, Tom Brady TRX band. Like, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, no, just it's malarkey. almost, it's just almost malarkey. as bad DT as uh, when sports illustrated got bought by like Maven industries or whatever it was. And they tried to sell yeah. the brain, the brain formula. Um, cause I love Tom Brady. I've always loved him as I, I grew up a Tom Brady fan playing quarterback, trying to emulate some of the stuff that he did. And then he launched his brand and I saw, you know, the diet that's in the TV 12 method book. I'm like, this is just vegan based. Like there's nothing, everybody that's ever yeah. eaten vegetarian or vegan. I'm like, that's what this is. And then I looked at the training disciplines and I'm like, this is known as Tabata training most of it, which I'm like, if people just Google Tabata training, I'm like, that's what this is. But he brands it as, yeah, but it's, it's Tom Brady. And then it's like all these things that are commonly understood in the health and wellness industry. And they're just thrown in there and he labels it as Brady. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's the TV 12 electrolytes. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's just Mio. Like I'm pretty (laughs) sure he's selling Mio with a TV 12 label wrapped around it. And the other one that always kills me is there's a, a company called Hypersphere uh, or sorry, it's Hyperice, I think is the name of the official company, but they sell a, a ball that's like the vibrating rollers and stuff. I have right. them and I got them from the people at BioSteel in Toronto where I you know, drove in and they had some kicking around because they saved them for their NHL guys in the off season to come to train there at St. Mike's in Toronto. And so I, I went and I actually picked them up and I came home and then I was reading about some TB12 stuff like a year and a half later. They're like, it's the TB12 pliability ball. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's just the Hyperice product rebranded as Brady's like he's they've mastered taking things that are good for you and rebranding it as Brady stuff and then calling it the method I'm like what a simple business plan (laughs) I I I just curious I've never read TB12 but where he takes that Gwyneth Paltrow jade egg and where he shoves that I'd be curious to read that (laughs) section but other than that I don't uh $200 pajamas with copper come on I think oh, yeah. I can find my scams way cheaper than that come on come <laughs> that on, is really. that is true uh the introductory press conferences have been fun uh we have gone through right now I believe I, I wasn't actually on the Winnipeg one but I was on Saskatchewan Edmonton Calgary uh I think Toronto might be by the time that people are listening to this coming out some quotes and different things uh, but they've been pretty enjoyable I've been bouncing around and asking a couple of questions here and there Uh, The one that jumped out to me before we get to the real news of the Saskatchewan call was Cody Fajardo being down a little bit in weight and by his choosing, which uh, Mm -hmm. I tweeted this out so people might have seen it. But for those of you who didn't, he said that he he basically dropped down his weight a little bit because he's not focused on short yardage anymore, taking a pounding and trying to survive all these defensive tackles and linebackers lunging over the top and ripping them off the pile. He's focused on core stability because the obliques obviously were the the downside at the end of last year, uh, 2019, I should say. And, He's focused on, uh, I I found this interesting, pocket stability. That's a term that I have never really heard used that often, but 
pocket stability is a perfect two-word encapsulation of so many of the great quarterbacks that have played in the CFL. Because obviously everybody goes, well, mobile, mobile, mobile. You got to be able to run. He said he was focused on that too. But really what he's focused on is pocket stability where he's like, you know, I can have an arm brush my shoulder pads. I can have somebody swipe me. I can have someone grabbing at my shoelaces. And I need to be able to stand tall in the pocket and look down the field confidently. I'm like, man, can you imagine if Cody Fajardo on top of the athleticism and the ability to get the ball out quickly in the zone read stuff and so much of what he did successfully in 2019, where he had a really strong statistical season, DT, if he was able to become the guy who sees a free blitzer looping inside and he just stares him down and is like, that's fine. I got Shaq Evans on a skinny post over the top of your free safety. Who's flat footed. I'm just going to throw this thing as high as I possibly can. And I Shaq right underneath it. If he does that all of a sudden, I'm like, Whoa, that that's a scary thought for a lot of people. I think in this league. Yeah. And you would see that at practice in 2019. That was something that Steve Walsh was the quarterback coach of the riders in 19 first round NFL draft pick in Steve Walsh. And you would see them working on stuff like that. Like Cody would take his drop and, and Walsh would kind of grab him by the side of the collar as he tried to throw the ball, yeah. just to, just to jerk it in some fashion and not violently or anything like that. Cause it's practice after all, but just to, to focus that in his mind. And that's one of the things kind of as, as riders fans, we, we watch for because when Cody would be under pressure in 19, he would do every rider fan knows he would reverse spin out and scramble and he's out yeah. of the pocket. And he did that until Anthony Gator obliterated him one day as Gator knew the spin was coming and Cody just spun right chest first and Anthony Gator just wrecking him. So <laughs> you think of, okay, well, he's always going to have that spin move. That's something he's had. I think he said his entire life he's been using that one. But if you just stand there and step up and, and take your, you're going to take a lick, right? right? How many plays have we seen Mike Riley make taking just a. Just Michael, a Michael Riley. Michael is, is that a for, is that a for real thing that's I wasn't joking about that I got that note from someone at the CFL that said moving forward Mike Riley would like to be known as Michael Riley and I was like is does he have a son that I don't know about where he wants to call himself like Michael Riley senior and he wants his kid to be Mikey I was like but yeah he's yeah. My, he's Michael Riley like I don't know when you guys are gonna find out in play-by-play and other thing but like cfl.ca editorial staff we were told his name is Michael Riley moving forward. I'm like, I feel so stupid saying this, but I guess if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. Yeah, the, when I met him at the Grey Cup, it was, hey, Mike, how's it going? And he was, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, whatever he wants to be called, he's yeah. a stud and I will call him. He wants to be called Derek. I'll, I'll just give him my <laughs> name and I'll take another name. That's, that's absolutely I'll fine. be you, Michael. I'll be you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, no, if, if Fajardo can add that, that element of standing in there in toughness, oh man, to mm-hmm. the number one rated deep ball passer as well. And all the other things you mentioned, eight touchdowns on designed runs. He, he's got so much going for him in his game and I think Ryder fans are just deliriously excited to go, well, what, what's he done in his time off and what will Jason Moss do to him when they're back together? Yeah. Uh, it, it's very exciting. So the other quarterback note that I'll mention here, cause I already mentioned uh, Trevor Harris and kind of how he spent some of his time getting ready. And obviously the connection with him and Elizondo is going to be exciting to see where, what that looks like and how quickly that takes the form that was so damn productive in 2016, 17, 18. But um, in Calgary, Bo Levi Mitchell, when they did their preseason conference call, he was asked about whether or not this is going to be the most difficult season of his career because he doesn't have a whole bunch of big names and a ton of weapons and all the things that we're used to Calgary having because they've lost in the receiver room. 
They've lost in the offensive line. So it's like, is Bo going to get hit a lot and not have targets? Because that's kind of what the narrative is going into the season. And then you start to look at it from his perspective. And he's essentially making the case that, no, no, I'm going to be the best point guard I've ever been. This is an opportunity for me to be the best quarterback I've ever been. And, and what he meant by that was not throw for the most yards or uh, score the most touchdowns or his his mentality going into the season, which I find fascinating, DT. And it's going to be great mm. for you guys on radio, breaking it down every day throughout the week after you see how he looks is like in the West, you've got the gunslinger in Michael Riley. You've got the pinpoint passer in Trevor Harris. You've got Cody developing, blossoming into what he's going to be. You got the old warhorse in Zach Kalaros, who's going to just be slinging it sidearm and finding people and working with Andrew Harris. And then you've got Bo and Bo might have to take on a different shape in 2021. And what he's saying is I want to be able to get through progressions better than ever. I want to use more receivers than ever. I want to be more multiple than ever. I want to see the entire field. I want to direct the offense in a different way. And I'm like, this is going to be the same playbook essentially but this offense might actually look and feel different as the season goes on. Yeah. He talked about using more receivers and, and he doesn't, because that receiving core apart from Kamar Jordan and second year, Herjie Maella is, has been decimated the yes. last yep. three off seasons. Well, two off seasons, whatever you want to call it, 2020. Uh, and then Aaron Peck retired this week and you go, well, that's a guy who was probably penciled into a starting spot. So Markeith Ambles, Kamar Jordan, Herji Mayala, uh, maybe another Canadian. He mentioned um, Salgado. Like he mentioned Salgado. Yeah, yeah, he mentioned as a as a true, like <laughs> real productive player as a global. And then yeah. when when that was brought up on the conference call, Dave Dickinson said, Well, you know, we've got a, a pretty good depth at global, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out. And my first thought was, why do you need depth at global? You're only playing one this year. So uh, so yeah. I was like, I don't know why that's a big issue that you would want that. But anyways, when he mentioned him, I was going, whoa, if we're mentioning globals for Calgary's receiving group, I'm like, how fast does that change? And he also mentioned Colton Hunchak, who, again, yep. the final draft pick in the 2019 draft had a very nice year in 2019. But if they can turn Colton Hunchak into a real player, not just like a, a replacement level guy that comes in and gives you, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 catches. If they can actually find a way to, to access him with Mayala, then that's your that's your Canadian receiving group. Yes, Sandani is around and all the rest, but that feels like that's probably going to be kind of your core of your national group and they can build it out from there. But they might not build it out real quickly because of what you're talking about. Well, and, and I saw some of the quotes. I wasn't on the, the call like you were, but I saw some of the quotes and they talked about interior offensive line and yeah. Sean McEwen, uh, as we'll talk about later, stud, stud, great, great replacement at center. If you're going to kick you, Combray Williams out the tackle, Sean McEwen at center, fantastic. Two guard spots are need to be replaced. We've talked about this before. Uh, many candidates and Ryan Seaver will be the, will be the guards. There are I'm going to get in trouble for saying this and people are going to yell at me again. Uh, but there are, there's a point where you've lost too much talent. Reggie Bagleton was what the number three receiver in the CFL last year, NFL. Okay. Well, Kamar Jordan comes back fine. Markeith Ambles comes back from the NFL. Okay. Uh, Josh Huff. Sure. This is just not Eric Rogers, who was the, who is the premier red zone target in the CFL, right? We assume Kamar's fine. There's no Davaris Daniels on, on this 
They've gone from what would have been second and third stringers now are forced into the first string. Calgary's, I don't see, I don't see how Calgary is not in for a long year, even with how good I think Bo Levi Mitchell is. And he can say, this is great. And it'll help me develop as a quarterback. You need guys got to get open or it, it just doesn't matter. And you have to, guys got to get open. You have to have time or else it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm with you on that hundred percent. And I, I feel like at some point early in the season, we're going to realize that things are different. But my question is, how does it evolve? Because Dickinson's not dumb. Like he's going to take whatever, no, no, sure. whatever he sees happening in front of him. And he's going to go, okay, let's evolve. Cause we got to find something else that's working. And they also, they spoke glowingly about Kadeem Carey as well. And it sounds like, cause they were asked about, you know, the depth at running back in behind him. And they said, yeah, we got anti-leader and we got this guy and that. And he's, but he said, Kadeem, we really believe in Kadeem. He's our guy. We think he's got the body type. He's the playing style that works well for us. It sounded like they were going to try to get Kadeem Carey to have essentially uh, a CJ Gable 2019 Edmonton type season where it's just like the workload is yours go. And I was, uh, when I heard that, I'm going, man, if they, if they can't pass protect, they have to run the ball a little bit to try and offset that to try and protect Bo, and they got to find some targets and work some people in, and they're relying on one back to get it all done. I'm like, that's a that's a, a scary equation, man. Because if the math doesn't turn out on that, then uh, I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, three wins or something like that. But that yeah. sounds like a 500 team to me, offensively at the very least. Whereas I know they've got lots of talent all over the place, and they'll coach them up, and they do a great job every year with that. But in a very competitive West Division, it. I mean, there's a potential that Calgary can have a real, real slide that I don't think we anticipated yeah. at the end of 2019. Yeah, they haven't been a one running back team since Jerome Messam, right? Like, I, I don't know if they've tried to be, but here's Don Jackson and here's Terry Williams and here's Romar Morris. Romar Morris had a 44-point fantasy game one week. And you're like, who, Romar Morris? What do you mean? That's, <laughs> they, they... I feel I before you said that I thought they kind of grasped this thing that I've been on and that the exact running back just doesn't matter when it comes into the running game to me it's it's just the least important part of the running game itself versus blocking and the scheming of it guys can hit the hole fast and and keep going and sure there are differences in how guys make other guys miss and who gets yards after contact and stuff but I I thought Calgary was kind of the poster child for hey, we get this and we'll just rotate these guys through. And if Don goes to Hamilton, okay, well, here's Kadeem Carey or Trey Williams or Brandon Wilds or the Nico, the global player I'm most excited to see, Nico Leonard, uh, the super strong, super fast young man from South Africa. I just, yeah. I got to see him go. Just got to see this rugby player just rip it up. I thought they got that, but yeah, if you're, if you're hyping the running game, yeah, in the Canadian uh, football league. <laughs> no, so no one else was interesting about this. And you and I, as as numbers guys, will I think appreciate this that uh Dave, and I don't mean to spend my whole time just recapping these conference calls, but they have been interesting. There's been some stuff that's come out here is that they announced in that Calgary conference call, I think it was Danny Austin that asked the question of Dickinson. You know, you added defensive assistant and Bob Sloak, uh, who was over in Montreal as the defensive coordinator before. He's mm -hmm. come on, he's come on board. You know, what is that role like? And Dickinson offered up in that answer that he had also hired an offensive assistant, which uh, I believe is VJ something. It's it's listed on uh, the, the yeah the Cal I just yeah out of respect I want to get the name right here. I just don't have it off the tip of my tongue, but and so I looked it up and listed as offensive assistant is this name at the bottom of their kind of coaching staff page, 
And uh, he mentioned that, you know, he's going to work with, <laughs> I always love when this happens with coaches where they're a little bit older and they say, he's going to do the computer stuff. Uh, so basically what, <laughs> what he's saying is uh, that there's, you know, he's going to do some analytics and he's going to try to work with them to, to work on strategy and in-game stuff. And, uh, and they said he was really good with the numbers and they just brought him in because they wanted to see what he could do as an offensive assistant. But then he mentioned he played with Herji Mayala at UConn. And I went, whoa, okay. that guy can't be 25 then. Because Herji's not, like, and I understand even if it was like a first year versus a fourth year or something like that, I'm like, that still puts him in the window of being really young. And the Stamps brought in this guy to try and work some of the numbers. And I'm wondering how many other teams are, are going to be bringing people in. Because we just went through a time where coaching staffs were being sliced and diced and removing people. And now we're bringing in basically young offensive assistants with more of an analytical approach. When I had talked to Dave Dickinson in February of 2019, or it might've been February, 2020, it was before the pandemic started. We were up in Collingwood in Ontario at Blue Mountains, and we were doing the press availability for the off-season meetings. And I asked him about kind of his approach off a record, just what was his approach to the numbers game and trying to study Bo versus Nick and how they evaluate people going forward. And and Dave basically said to me, ah, you know, it's not really for me. Like, I don't, I'm not a real big believer in that stuff. Kind of the Belichick answer where it's like, you know, there's people that do that stuff, but that's, that's not really what I'm about. And I took it at face value. I'm like, okay, he's a football coach. He's been a football player. He understands he can see it with his eyes better than a lot of other people can. That makes sense. And now they're hiring an offensive assistant where he says, yeah, he's going to do the numbers and he's going to work on in-game strategy and all of this for us. And I'm like, either that's an evolution that, Dave picked up during the pandemic where somebody got in his ear and said, this stuff might actually be valuable. Do you want to talk to this guy? Or yeah. he was just lying to me and he's always been interested <laughs> in it, which is, which is actually what I've heard about Belichick is that he really loves the analytics, but every time he's asked about it, he rolls his eyes in the media. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Belichick's a special case in that he was ahead of the curve and now he's sort of fallen behind the curve, but uh, uh, TJ Vernieri, is that the yes, name? TJ, yeah, sorry, I called him VJ. Yeah. I was, I'm watching too much golf lately, the senior PGA championship. I mean, VJ Singh, still got it, but. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just on that, every coach everywhere uses analytics. Yeah. Like if you know the other team's second down, blitz rate on second and long, that's analytics. Mm -hmm. that's just, it is. That's yep. just what, that's what I told is. you on, on the sports cage day that I was watch, I was uh, reading uh, Sprawl Ball. And I Such love, a good book. I love the piece in the introduction where in that book, which is about the kind of the revolution of the three point shot in the NBA. And I love the piece where, uh, somebody's talking to a player and they say, you know, analytics is dumb. I don't want any of that number stuff. And I would never care about it. And it doesn't have any place in the game. And then, and then he said, oh yeah, well, uh, what about the value of the corner three? What does that mean to you? And, he's, and then the player just went up, oh, the corner three is the most important shot in basketball. I mean, it's it's a foot shorter to the rim. And so the, the percentages go up. You get a cleaner look most of the time. It's a great drive and kick zone. It's, it's like, dude, that's quantitative and analytics. Like the, what you just explained <laughs> there is yeah. you're just taking numbers and putting them into word format without actually using the numbers. You just explained the entire argument behind it. So yeah, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of people out there that uh, that dive into all of that stuff for sure. Can, I I, I want to make one point on this because I could go on this all day. Yes. Uh, people people talk about the eye test versus analytics. Uh, ultimately, it's just counting, right? Like you, if I say uh, Marshall, how did Mike Filer do? Third quarter, 14 minutes left against Saskatchewan in Week Eight. How did Mike Filer do on that run block? Right. You'd be like, well, how the hell would I know that? Right? Because 
he run blocks 350 times a year in a thousand plays. People just count that. People just have counted that and go, okay, well, this is what we've counted. Yeah. We count, we took at the number of times we looked at the tape. You, this is what you and I do, right? We look at the tape. We look at the number of times something good happens, something bad happens. And somehow that becomes useless information to people that that that's analytics so it's garbage i'm like no no, we just counted the good and bad things that happened but when did it become a dirty word like when it because and i feel like analytics as a term gets thrown around too much but it's almost like and again not to get too deep on you know politics and news and all the rest but when certain people in the political sphere started to challenge the idea of facts it was like all science math and facts became dirty words it was, yeah. it just be, it became this thing where you weren't supposed to be because, well, they could be making up those numbers. And it's like, no, we're like actually evaluating. And I had a coach way back when who graded offensive linemen. You just brought it up to my memory talking about Filer there. He graded mm. offensive linemen, but he hated analytics, but he graded them. <laughs> that's every, it, And that's exactly it, right? That, like you're talking every about, day and always has been in football. Yeah. And it's, it's always been used as a grading tool going back to Paul Brown. I mean, it was one of the first people where it was like, this is how we're going to evaluate people. And this is how we're going to build our rosters. All of that stuff has always been in play. So yeah, we, uh, we, I think we're going to see an increased amount of teams though. that are going to use that offensive assistant label and bring in people that know what they're doing. Uh, The real chunky stuff here from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders call that I wanted to bring up was Brandon Labatt, which uh, was an interesting dynamic on that conference call because someone asked the question of what's going on with retirements and Jeremy O'Day of the Riders says uh, that Brendan Labatt's not going to be playing this year. He's, uh, I don't know if he said that he's retired or he's on the retired list. And then you popped on and you're like, hey, is he like retired, retired? Or is he just not playing this year? And the answer was he's just not playing this year. Okay, yeah. that's a different. And he's under contract through 22, as you found out as well. So I was glad you asked that question because nobody else in the room was smart enough to, uh, first and foremost, <laughs> uh, because that would have just slipped through the door and we all just would have been tweeting out, hey, Levant, retired, retired, retired. And then O'Day would have come out and just been like, no, like uh, two weeks later, we would have found out, no, he's, he's just not playing this year. But it certainly creates a, a different dynamic on that offensive line that's already gone through a little bit of a uh, little battle testing, I would say, in the offseason here. Yeah, J.O. caught us off guard because uh, he said not going to play this year. And some folks did take that as he's retired. I thought we need to double back and make sure. So <laughs> not going to play this year, apparently has the intention to play in 22. And then Farhan Longi followed up and said if uh, J.O. had pointed to the restrictions of the season or one of the reasons why Labat isn't going to play this year. Uh, Farhan said if the restrictions are loosened and players have more freedom, will he come back? And uh, Gio said, I asked him that, and he says it's possible. So he may not be done. What are the does- restrictions that are so bad? Like, and I honestly haven't looked at a bunch of them, but I'm wondering what would be the restriction that Brendan Labatt would look at and say, no, that's a that's a, a disclaimer for me. There's no way I can do that. Oh, uh, teams are, are traveling, you know, now the day before the game instead of two days before the game, and at no point will the team – interact with outside people right you go to practice you go home and that's it and there's no differentiation between currently vaccinated and unvaccinated players there's a lot of it's very tight on the players as they try to keep covid from you know it's a safety measure right trying to keep covid far away from the teams as possible because we saw in the nfl the nhl it can just it can crush a team and the cfl has no schedule flexibility uh, versus the nhl so it's just very restrictive on what the players can do. And I, I can understand why someone might, uh, might bristle at that. So that's, that's apparently part of 
Gio said that's part of what uh, what is keeping Brandon away. Uh, we haven't heard from Brandon since the end of the of the 19th season. He's kind of been very intentionally off the radar, which. Yeah, that's that's all right. That's is he typically that way? Because I I don't really know his tendency. But when I when all this news came out, and so many people in Saskatchewan who care about him, and again, this this is part of the beauty of having the crazy Ryder Nation is that yeah. you guys you guys give a damn about a veteran offensive lineman. Like it's, and I know that a lot of CFL teams do. I experienced it with Peter Diakowski when I was covering Hamilton in my early days in radio. People cared about Peter. What's happening with Peter? Is Peter going to be around? Is Peter going to play? Is Peter healthy? CFL teams have this unique connection to their fans and people really cared about what Brennan was doing after this news came out. And I just thought, I wonder why he doesn't come out and get out in front of it, but if he's quiet or he doesn't feel like he needs to, then I mean, to each his own, he doesn't have to do anything. I just thought so many people cared about where he was at and what the reasoning was that he wasn't going to be wearing that, that uniform this year that I wondered why he wouldn't want to get out and at least say something. Yeah, I, I feel like and I've just covered him for, for a season, but I just feel like he's, he's fairly private. I feel like that's a deal. When he came back from injury, uh, it, was, it was the first time I had a chance to talk to him because he'd been injured for quite some time. Uh, and he was wide open about, oh, man, I thought my career was over. And then I had the surgery and it was fantastic. And now I'm ready to come back and, and just dominate again. But I, I, I just get the impression he's fairly private. And I'm like, OK, that's. Totally fair, because we would eat up every moment of your time. Weyburn's finest six-time All-Star, Grey Cup champion, most outstanding lineman in 2013, 181 CFL games, and just the first ballot Hall of Famer. We would, he's, he's a really good interview, and I feel like we would demand a ton of his time yeah. uh, as, as the media. So maybe he just wants to kind of keep that at a, at a distance. And I, I say this full well knowing that there are circumstances that happen behind the scenes in people's lives where it doesn't always have to be what people are saying on social media. Oh, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. That's why he doesn't want to be around. Like it might be as simple as wants to spend more time with his family. Like he, yeah. he doesn't have to come out in the media and explain he wants to spend more time with his family. He doesn't have to come out and explain to you that a family member is sick and he wants to spend time with them. Like it's, there's stuff that's private that I think, you know, uh, <laughs> just the idea of saying, well, why didn't he get in front of a microphone and say something? He doesn't have to, it, depending on what it is, he can do whatever the hell he wants. I just, because people care about him and care about that team so much, yeah. I, I, I thought it might've been an option for him uh, in the last couple of days here, but Hey, if he hasn't done by now, he's probably not going to do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and what his not playing a year does is just kind of accelerate the Riders' timeline. Jeremy O'Day yes. went, and, went and got Evan Johnson from Ottawa in free agency. And Johnson has been a stud in his career so far. 31 games at left guard. He started at right guard. He started at right tackle. He got his Imagine this, he's a rookie and he's, he gets a start at right tackle. Oh, it's against the Bombers. No, or, or pardon me, it was against the Riders. Yeah. And it was... Uh, Willie Jefferson and Charleston Hughes. And that was his day at the office. <laughs> like, Hey, welcome to your first start at right tackle kid. But yeah. you thought, okay, well, he'll just go in at right guard. Boom. Dan Clark at center. Brendan will be at left guard. And then Brendan steps away and you go, Oh, well, Evan Johnson can go back to a, the position he's played by far the most in the CFL slap him in at left guard. Uh, I, we presume Taryn Vaughn at left tackle, Dan Clark at center, that's center to the left side rock solid yeah the right side i guess we'll find out because Tacoby cofield decided to retire uh so now there's going to be an absolute brand new face to the riders starting at right tackle 
and right guard. Isn't, uh, dude, don't you guys have Quanjo out there? Cyrus Kwanjo is one of the guys they signed, I think, in advance of 2020. Uh, Kwanjo was a big-time player in college or had a big-time rep in college, and just, yeah. it hadn't worked out. And now right guard, uh, can Brett Boyko be an interior player, though he's been at tackle most of his career? There are four rookies to consider. And when I put, brought that to my partner, Luke Mullender, he's like, rookies, rookies, yeah. oh, rookies. Mm, nope. <laughs> No rookies. I love, first round rookie. Cool. It's still a rookie. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what was uh, what was a real plus for the Riders in 2019 in depth of we can sustain this injury and this injury. It is. It, it's not there in in uh, for their Canadian players this coming year. So very curious to see what the right side of the O line looks like day one of camp. I uh, I do think that Jeremy O'Day must have felt pretty good after the Labatt news reaches his doorstep where he goes, thank God I got Evan Johnson. Holy. Yeah. Or like, thank God I drafted Matlin Riley. Like, Oh man. Cause whether he, he's Sandy in the fifth. Thank yeah, you. Like whether he saw it coming or whether he just took a stab at a couple of guys just to add some depth. Like, I guess this is why when you're in the CFL, you draft endlessly to just add depth because you never know when you're going to have to use the depth. But when you have to use the yeah. depth and you have it, oh man, that must be a nice security blanket. And again, I understand that Bandy and uh, you know anybody else that was in there, even if Shram was still around, like that would not have been enough of a security blanket to say you're better than, than Labatt because of what he's done in his career and how much he's respected in the league. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's you need to have that depth, certainly. And I do love the idea of both Calgary and Saskatchewan with people saying, you know, you lost Philip Blake, you lost Darius Blake, you lost Dakota Shepley, now you lost Labatt, now you lost Braden Shram, now you lost Cofield, and Jeremy O'Day just going, yeah, but Evan Johnson, right? <laughs> hey, how about yeah. that? And then like, Calgary, yeah. you lost Erdos, and you lost uh, Shane Bergman, and the, he, <laughs> Huffnagel actually today, just kept revolving the conversation back to, yeah, but Sean McEwen, am I right? Like yeah. they just, you try to find the one guy that I you think that can one. anchor it, but the unit, the unit is the thing that matters. And so, like you say, that the unit for Saskatchewan will be tested uh, early in the season to really find some cohesiveness and pieces that work. And, and I think that it was Craig Dickinson who said this, it might've been somebody else, but so much of offensive line play is about who you're playing next to and how your comfort is and understanding their splits, the little things, right? When you break the huddle, you get to the line of scrimmage. Center gets down on the ball. Okay, where's his footwork at? Where's mine? What is the timing like? How quick is he off the ball? All these things, you have to get into a rhythm. And I yeah. honestly believe the best offensive lines are the ones where the center knows exactly what the guards are going to be doing, the spacing on pulling, how far they need to get out in front. It's, it's a dance, man. And you have to know who you're dancing with. And when you're dancing with five men who are around 300 pounds, it's a really, really delicate dance. And if you mess it up, there's some big collisions yeah. and your quarterbacks get hit. So they got to find that cohesiveness. They have to find a way to get together with that group and find the five relatively quickly, albeit in a long training camp, and then just get the reps over. It's going to be, if you're at, if you're at training camp for the riders, it's going to be boring. I think watching that offensive line, once they have it sorted out, because, man, yeah. the, the amount of walkthrough periods they're going to have to just hammer stuff home is going to be endless. Hey, if anybody can get them together, it's Dan Clark, who is yes. uh, Saskatchewan's version of Chuck Norris. <laughs> Try it. Filled the capital point hole. He solved the co-op refinery dispute. He, he's kicked COVID's ass. <laughs> Dan Clark.
Yeah. This country's Chuck Norris. Just so. uh, yeah. The uh, in I believe Jurassic Park, the Tyrannosaurus Rex was not running from Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. No, that's not how that goes. It was backwards. Okay. Very good. But uh, all right. So let's move on to uh, our next topic here for you. Franchise. Uh, yeah. We eat on we, Twitter. We bounce around a couple of different things here. Is uh, we wanted to jump ahead and talk about what you mentioned that uh, Chesie, you decided to go out there and uh, give us the hot, hot, hot take of Darrell Walker and uh, Greg Allen being the best receiver duo in the CFL. So we thought we would broach this, have some fun with it. And uh, my first thought when I saw it was, okay, that's the take. That's the excitement of having Darrell walk because we all know what he can do. Uh, but my thinking on this right away was... So make me fight you. You're going to make me fight you with what comes next. Darrell, Darrell Walker is going into a situation that, yeah, it's green and gold and it's Edmonton and it's his third tour of duty and all the rest. But... Why do we feel like he can be with Greg Ellingson, this insanely productive player that he really hasn't been in a couple of different places, including Edmonton, albeit with a different quarterback, uh, including having somebody like an Adarius Bowman alongside of him. When I'm looking at Brandon Banks and Braylon Addison, they've already played together with the same quarterback, with the same mm -hmm. offensive coordinator. There's continuity that can go there and i know that numbers do not play i felt like an idiot doing this when i mentioned it on on the sports cage but numbers don't play well uh predominantly on an audio format which makes the, the idea of the breakdown a little tough sometimes uh but i do want to mention that uh, and again I, I this is kind of taken out of context because it's toronto numbers and there was so much going on with toronto's passing game in 2019 but ellingson and walker if you look at their 2019 they combined for 37% of their respective team's targets, albeit not the same offense, not fighting each other for those targets. And their production grade was 55 for Walker and 58 for Ellingson. So again, combined 37% yeah. and combined their production grade that I grade out through each game, each target, each throw was 113. For Hamilton, Brandon Banks had 26%. Now I want you to realize how stupid that is. 26% of targets, okay, in the offense for passing. That is equivalent basically to what Andrew Harris gets in the ground game, which is like of total team rushing attempts across the league. He gets like X amount. It gets up around like 30% sometimes. So uh, yeah. the idea of banks being 26%, that was a heavy, heavy workload. Addison had 19.4%, which was more than Darrell Walker got in Toronto, which that again speaks more to Toronto's issues, but the production grade banks had a higher production grade by 0.4 than Darrell Walker did in Toronto. Addison had the highest production grade of all four of these guys, Walker, Ellingson, Banks, and Addison. Addison was the most productive player, and he did not get the uh, number of touches that I think was required of him or that he should have gotten in the passing attack. I think that's going to be corrected in 2021. So I'm looking at this and saying, if Addison is motivated, which I really believe he is, and he comes in and he gets more touches, and they lean more on Banks as well, why would those two guys not be the most productive receivers in the Canadian football league? I think that's a, I think that they're clearly number two for me, number one, number two, and then there's a big gap to number three. Hmm. There's no player in the league right now, like Braylon Addison uh, receiving threat. Oh, Hey, all our running backs are hurt. We'll just have Braylon Addison run the ball. I think he had 40 carries from the running back position in 2019 you're not doing that with anybody else. Maybe Nick Dembski, but not to that same extent. No. Like Addison is a truly unique player. Banks is, is incredible. Like watching Banks in 
who is what five seven five eight five nine five seven one sixty five essentially watching him win jump balls downfield like contested catches yeah. downfield I don't know how he does that that's incredible it's not just speed with that guy they are phenomenal uh, what what we haven't what we don't have from Braylon Addison is CFL track record right we have Greg Ellingson star yeah. Darrell Walker sixteen hundred yards one year star to me. They're opposite sides of the field. Uh, that's beautiful. I love it. Ellingson's the guy to me who revolutionized this field side the last five years. Walker is, hey, I don't need the waggle. I'm just going to kill you off the line. And, and when, I'm, when I want to play, I'm going to be the best player in the Canadian Football League. The want to play thing, we can dive into a little bit. Uh, people have, to me, used Toronto last year as an example of, okay, well, it was, it was a problem for him. I just had to pull it up because uh, to me, it wasn't Darrell Walker that was the problem in Toronto. It was the fact that quarterback was such an issue with the Argos last season. Yep. Walker had 62% of his targets be accurate passes in 2019. That was seventh lowest in the CFL. Uh, CJ Gable, who's the top receiver on this list? Ricky Collins had uh, 76% of his targets be accurate. Durrell was 70 or 62. And then Devere Posey had the lowest number at 55. If you don't give the guy a chance to succeed, what can we truly expect of him? If that ball's airmailed over his head, it's he's running an in route instead of shoes. Well, if he catches that, God bless him, but I cannot put that on, on Darrell Walker. So his numbers look bad. What was it? 60 something catches yeah. last year. But to me, that wasn't in any way reflective of what Walker can be because we've seen the guy put up 1500 plus yards. Yeah. I think league. the thing that jumps out to me the most about if he's going to have a great season, which I do, like I, I, I don't want my comments to be misconstrued where people are saying Darrell Walker's a bum. He's not going to play well at all. He's going to have a hundred yards catching on the air. He's not, he's going to go for a thousand. Like I feel very comfortable. He's going to go for a thousand. Oh, yeah. Greg, Greg Ellingson's going to go for a thousand, even in the 14 games. Like, I don't care. They're, they're going to get their thousand yards this season. And I think that you, they've got an opportunity to be able to have a third name, get involved in that party too. But my and question Stafford. mark, yeah, my, my question mark going in here, DT is that, how much can Elizondo turn Darrell Walker's skill set, ability, speed, hands? How much can he access that in the same way that Trevor Harris was able to in Ottawa with essentially Chris Williams, right? Like working in that boundary side wide receiver spot, can they turn him into an ultra productive boundary wide receiver and hit those home run shots to him down the sideline, down the rail? Can you throw the skinny post? Can you motion him in and have him run little crossing routes underneath, catch, turn up the field, get lots of yak here, whatever it's. There's yeah. different ways that they can access him. Chris Williams was a different player than Darrell Walker, obviously, but Deontay Spencer too, right? Yeah. 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 And so being able to get maximum production out of that spot, because we've seen what Trevor and Trevor Harris's skill set is so good for field side guys, which is honestly why I think Ellingson has been that five-year revelation to the, to the wide side that you're talking about is that he can get through progression so quickly. His release is so quick. There's one clip that I have. I love of Trevor Harris and I don't know why I, I clipped this and saved it, but, uh, you know, maybe for coaches film in 25 years, if I ever get around to that, that I saw that he took the snap and it was in the shotgun. Obviously he takes the snap and he looks to the left and it's just like a spacing play. So everybody's run their hooks and reading the releases of the linebackers and finding the empty zone and hooking up at three, four, five yards, whatever. And so he ends up taking the snap, looking to his left boundary slot back. Will linebacker flies out underneath that. 
So he comes back to the field side and the Sam flies out underneath the number three receiver. The halfback is all over the back of the number two receiver, the slot receiver. And at that point, he's already gone from one to two to three and he's still grabbing the laces. Like he grabs it, goes <laughs> da, 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 and he processes things so incredibly quickly that he ended up actually going back to the boundary, checking to see if it was open yet, getting off of that and coming back to the wide side wide receiver where the corner had fallen off because Crazy. it was some sort of like, you know, how uh, hold coverage down low. And so the, he should have just probably gone to the wide receiver on the wide side first, but he went from boundary slot back to three to two back to boundary slot back back to the field side. And he did it in about like one and a half seconds. And you can actually see his helmet go check, 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 got it. Bang. And the ball comes yeah. out. So when I think of Elizondo working with Trevor Harris, the processing speed and being able to work with Greg Ellingson, I think Ellingson is going to have a way better statistical season, honestly, than Darrell Walker. And so that's my, in this, in this conversation of where we are going with the best duos, I'm looking at and saying, yeah, Darrell Walker's a hell of a player. Greg Ellingson's a hell of a player, but Trevor Harris and Jamie Elizondo in that offense, I think Ellingson's going to be the star in Hamilton. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be Banks or if it's going to be Addison. I think Addison's going to have a more productive year based on what I've seen, reading the tea leaves, all the rest, and people in Hamilton will go, oh my God, how is that even possible? Speedy's our hero. Yeah, he's a great player. But I think Addison's got something special for you in 2021. And I'm just, I'm trying to do the math here on if Ellingson is great and Walker is real good, can Addison be great to the level of Ellingson? And can Speedy be better than Darrell statistically? And when I'm doing that math and the equation of the offense and the system and the style and the quarterback and the, to me, the answer is yes. So that's why I lean Hamilton as the best duo over Edmonton. But like you say, after that, it's, it, I mean, Saskatchewan, I think with Kieran Moore is right there alongside Shaq Evans, but Shaq is to me kind of like a number four, five, six overall type guy. And then Kyron Moore is, he drops in a little bit in the order. Tyron's uh, never had a thousand yards yet. So, right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and, and they've got other pieces. So it's not like it's you know, a game of only two players. And I mean, Williams Lambert and Justin McKinnis and William Powell's going to do his thing and all the rest. NBA so Jam's a two player game. And that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's just in terms of the overall picture of the offense. And then you mentioned Montreal as well, being able to look Ooh. at BJ Cunningham and, and Gina Lewis. I like those guys a lot. But the problem with Montreal looking in this game is that so much of that conversation for them is infringing upon. And I, I honestly think this is the most uh, divisive conversation perhaps in the entire CFL right now. Does Vernon Adams Jr. get better or worse? Cause it seems like nobody wants to say, well, he stays the same. So it, I saw Joey Alfieri from TSN 690 in Montreal saying like Vernon's going to get better this year. I've seen people in and around Montreal saying he's going to get better. He's going to refine. He's going to, and you and I are both saying, well, I don't know if you can hit on the deep ball as much as you did previously. I don't know if people are going to drop interceptions when you make bad decisions can you avoid those bad decisions? So the idea of putting Montreal in a best receiver duo conversation, especially when you have Stanback, who's going to deserve the football, that's hard. Oh, to, that's, that's hard you're, to do. You're abusing the rules of the game here, buddy. <laughs> just, these are the two receivers I want. So you you would be you would be Banks and Addison one, Walker yes. Ellingson two. Yep. Yeah, I would go there. And then uh, my three, I go uh, Brian Burnham and anybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, rhymes on that boundary side wide receiver with him. Yeah, mm. and, and mm. I told you I told you before we started this that my problem is 
that I have so much respect for so many of these guys that I constantly am contradicting myself on who the best is and who the, because I, every time I think about them, I start salivating as an ex quarterback and going, Oh my God, can you imagine like Brian Burnham would draw so much attention in the style of offense that I played in that I would be able to just look at him and feed everything off of it. And everybody else would be open by five more yards because there'd be coverage just rolling that direction. So that's yeah. why I say Burnham and anybody, but I mean, outside of that Toronto, I think is probably the biggest question mark in this conversation because we're not sure who's going to make the team. Like we know that there's going to be some predominant names, Preskason and, and, we understand Eric Rogers and uh, Dijon Brissett's going to probably play the wide side wide receiver spot as a, as a national, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like the, 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 Daniels, yeah. Yeah, the, the top of the rankings, I think has to be Hamilton with their duo Edmonton with theirs. And from there, it kind of shakes out based on preference and what you believe they're going to look like this year. The uh, so BC three, I, I agree. BC is, is, uh, is three. Here's what, here's what I put together. And I felt bad because there was a real debate uh, for me of, Okay, well, DeVaris Daniels, Eric Rogers, the guys I presume will be the boundary side for Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, mm, Rogers gets more red zone targets than anybody, but that was Calgary. How's this different? Why did Calgary let him go? Uh, I, I left them out of the top five. I had Geno Lewis and BJ Cunningham because I, I, I think people with his ear off forgot BJ Cunningham was a real baller. Uh, Shaq and Kyron of Saskatchewan at four. Burnham and Dominic Rhymes at three. I had Banks and Addison at two and Ellingson Walker at one. To me, Ellingson Walker is two of the top five receivers in the league last year. Now they play on the same team. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Walker, uh, I, I just had to, I was trying to pull this up because it was a conversation I had with Shaq Evans and yeah. he talked about, because it's in Shaq's benefit as a, as a wide receiver to, to point out the fact that it's harder to get open when you don't use the waggle. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, Banks had 134 targets with the waggle. Addison had 106 targets at the waggle. Both of them are about 80% waggle targets versus Darrell Walker, who rarely uses the waggle at all mm -hmm. and just has to get open. Press coverage, I got to beat this. I got to get this open. Uh, that's, that's to me, there's a zillion reasons why I, I went to Walker and Ellingson 1-2, but that's that's probably the closest divide other than five, six in my mind of, of uh, the split between the one I picked first and second, but neither one of those teams is, is sad that they have incredible American receivers, the ones that they do. And, and by the way, when they all meet in the gray cup, we'll settle this on the field. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why I have this in my uh, iTunes library here, but Hey, I have it. I might as well play for it. Jeremiah Masoli on Braylon Addison. This is from uh, looks like 2000. 20? Oh no, that was last play. This is from 2018. I think this is might have been Addison's first year in the CFL. And he's just a smart guy. Obviously, uh, he played quarterback in high school, so that helps. You can tell he's very quarterback friendly. Uh, you know, almost in the same lane as as Luke is. You know, just understanding defenses and you know just little things that he does just just help him get open and, and yeah. There you go. A little background for you on uh, why Jeremiah likes him. And it's funny that he mentions Luke there because. Uh, the radar has officially turned off on Luke Tasker at this point. No big retirement announcement, anything else. It's just gone dark and hasn't really made any uh, leeway where it sounds like he's going to be coming back. I talked to somebody a while ago who said that uh, 
he might have had some interest from a couple of different teams, and he was basically holding out to see if he could get what he wanted to come back into Hamilton. But we haven't heard anything as maybe it's one of those things that they're like keeping quiet until the start of training camp, and then he bursts through a big tie cat sign at the start of the, <laughs> and they do a big promotional video at Tim Hortons Field. I'm not sure, but yeah, for Jeremiah to put the Luke label on Braylon that early in 2018, I think that explains why he's had some success in the two years there. Yeah, uh, Devere Posey, Brandon Banks, Braylon Addison. If if Luke Tasker is there, come on. What are we doing here? Come on. Yes. Come on. I just, I, for 12 and two, I'm just throwing out 12 and two. <laughs> Not for any particular reason, but I'm just throwing out 12 and two adjacent to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But uh, uh, that's, I love that conversation. I, I love trying to figure out how these new duos, especially, are going to work together or in Hamilton's case, how the evolution of Braylon Addison is, is going to, uh, to be because, hey, if the running backs are healthy, we don't need to, but we can because that's a real nice way to, to screw up with defenses. Uh, what, are, what are Burnham and Rhymes going to look like together? Rhymes who dominated in some games for a bad team in Ottawa. Uh, it just it brings us closer to football, Marsh. I yeah, I'm everybody. with you. Uh, we had something planned here that we were going to do, but because I'm an idiot and ramble a bunch because we get excited about these things, uh, I actually want to save our big piece that we had for next week's podcast. Uh, oh, we, nice. I, I promise that it will be worth your wait uh, for everybody out there because we wanted to do something themed around Canada Day, dealing with Canadian players. Uh, but stick around for that. That will come out next week. But I do want to ask you here before we wrap things up, DT, the, uh, the idea of uh, the odds coming out. There were so many great props that came out this week. There oh, were yeah, over, yeah. over-unders for wins. I saw you tweeting about that. There was there is some juicy stuff out there for people that wanted to play some wages as we know that this is kind of coming to reality very quickly and coming to a CFL uh, game day experience near you. I'm starting to wonder at what point you guys are going to be told that, uh, you know, on play-by-play in Saskatchewan that you got to start referencing over-unders and live updating prop bets and things of that nature. Because <laughs> as, as broadcasters, it's going to become part of the lexicon, which I never could have expected when I got into doing all of this stuff. But I thought some of the numbers, because you just mentioned 12-2 and two for Hamilton, which is why I wanted to bring this up. Some mm. of the numbers were funny, man. Like I, I saw Edmonton's win total, and you and I are both on board with Edmonton. I saw oh. their, I saw their over under for win total. I was like, what are we doing? Like they have to be over that. Oh yeah. So these are all from Bodog. They put out seventeen prop wagers, futures wagers for the season. Uh, the Edmonton Elks over under win total came out at five. <laughs> Would they finish better than five and nine? <laughs> And you cannot believe how fast I jumped on that. Like over, over. I hammered it to the, and it, the max isn't very high, but I hammered it for as much as I could because that is the easiest bet on the board. Uh, Alouettes is six. Red Blacks is three and a half. Argos is six and a half. Stampeders are seven. Uh, basically, there's a lot of the, the wagers on Bodog that went with what, what did 2019 look like? Okay, we'll use that to judge 2021. And man, there are a ton of opportunities. I, I can I can give you incredible ways to make money, and some a real long shot one that I think might surprise people, but uh, it could really could really help you in the uh, in the pocketbook. Yes, uh, for all of that and more, listen to the Sports Cage. Uh, it's on your radios each and every weekday. Uh, let people know what they can expect coming up this week, as I know that you guys are continuing to ramp things up around there. It's Crazy to think that players are essentially reporting for camps and then they still have to sit around for a week. Yeah, exactly. So, so next week we'll be loaded with board riders from their hotel room. Yes. It'll be, it'll be great to be talking football with them. 
Uh, Wednesday, we're off for Canada Day. So Wednesday is uh, Glenn Suter and fine tailored suits. When we'll do, uh, we'll talk some about the best Canadian players in the CFL, Farhan Lalji. And uh, we, we have a, a special day on, uh, on Wednesday as we amplify Aboriginal or uh, First nice. Nations voices within our community, Indigenous voices. So we're very excited uh, about that. It's part of an initiative, our station and roughly 400 other stations across the country are involved in uh, the day before Canada Day. So we're, we're super excited about that. Awesome. That is excellent. That's great to hear. And uh, again, it's one of those things that uh, we should have been doing regularly. I think everybody is realizing more and more that it's taken far too long to have that recognition come to place. But I was watching a CBL game. I think it actually might have been the uh, the Rattlers out near a year against uh, my Hamilton Honey Badgers the other day. And they had Worn shirts on that had, uh, you know, every person matters, every child matters, all the rest on as well because of everything that's come out with the residential schools uh, recently. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, good on Mike Morielli and the people from the CEBL for being able to to bring that to the forefront and have that be visually apparent on the sidelines because that's you see that so many times where it's you know NBA cares and they just like throw a random organization on a T-shirt and it's it's like no, the CEBL is uniquely Canadian as is the CFL and for them to have uniquely Canadian rights uh, i think being expressed and, and being advertised that need to have that increased awareness is that's a really good thing so i'm i'm happy to hear that you guys are doing that and a lot of other places are buying in on that uh, as yeah. well there was no a block this week i just wanted to give a quick programming note here uh, i got stood up twice uh once it was because of a scheduling snafu the other time the person just forgot to call in uh so i ended up <laughs> hey this thing's Sorry, happening buddy, I, I didn't mean to I feel bad. You're talking about me in the third person there. but I'm, I'm not going to bury anybody. I'm not going to use any names, Derek. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I basically, I told my fiance what happened. She goes, oh no, so what are you going to do? I mean, people didn't get the show this week. I said, listen, digital audio podcasting, if they don't show up and I tried twice, I can't do the show. I'm sorry. I apologize for not having the show up. But uh, so I want to let you guys know about that. Make sure that you are tuning in to Thursday's All Canadian because Wade and Connor have some exciting news and updates about what's happening around the OUA, the football nice. season. They've been talking to some people and they've got some uh, some updates on all of that for university football, which is, of course, just around the corner as well. And we're excited to be able to bring you lots of that coverage here on CFP as well. That will do it for us today at DT on SC. Make sure that you are following Derek Taylor at TSN underscore Marsh. Uh, go there for Formula One tweets and pictures of my dog if you enjoy those. Uh, and uh, we will talk with you coming up next week right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thanks, as always, for checking out the breakdown. And thank you, as always, as well, the CFP uh, supporters and sponsors for being able to make this a reality. As you mentioned off the top here, Fox 40, Sawdust City. Use those promo codes CFP15 to get 15% off at Fox 40. And CFL is the promo code for free shipping from Sawdust City Beer. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.